have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to Romans 13. Romans 13, as you're getting there. I said last week that we are going to try to give updates each and every week through the month of October of where we are in our partnership with University Christian School. I wish that I had more to share with you this week, but just kind of bring you up to speed, calling our people to continue to pray that God would just open doors and God would continue just to give favor in this process that we are having to, to do in order to get a school on our campus. And we are in the process of rezoning. Um, I had a meeting with an engineer this week, and the first initial meeting went very, very well. I've had a hard time getting back to them since. So just pray that God would open the door. I've called and left messages, so I've made it my aim or my goal this week. I will call every single day this week until um, we have another conversation. If we don't do that, I will be at his front door. Um, and go from there. So just pray for that. I was supposed to have a meeting this past week on Thursday with the kind of the renovation arm of the Florida Baptist um, Convention and the uh, Florida Baptist Credit Union. Unfortunately, with us being uh, out of town for our family funeral on Thursday, I had to uh, move the meeting. So we're going to be meeting this Tuesday and kind of walking through what we're looking to do and ho hopefully kind of get some ideas um, as, as well. So just continue to pray for those things. Now, we do have an update coming up. Some changes that we said are coming, one that we know is coming this month, and we are excited about it, uh, or soon, is we're going to be doing new windows for our sanctuary. Um, so we are excited about that and uh, thankful. So the, the yellow stained glass will be no more. And um, if, if you are upset, they can be yours. For, so come on up. We will send them home with you. Good luck with them. Um, they are our blessing to you as a parting gift from today. Oh, no, don't take them yet. Don't take them until we're replacing them. But I'm just excited about what God's doing. And uh, I, I just cannot wait to see what God has in store. And hear this for the future of our church. Because our church, praise God, has a future. So now to Romans 13. For those that made it through our God and country sermon last week, I am so glad you are back. Thank you for coming back. I know it was a, a tough time in the Word, but thank you for being back today. And as we move into today's text, let me begin our time this way. Few things can make you feel more helpless than the battle to try to get a child to wake up in the morning. Can I get an Amen. So, you know, we, we know that the two words, wake up, don't seem to, to be strong enough when confronted with a child who is more determined to sleep than you are to get them up. So that can be a battle. For those that are struggling with that, let me give you some advice from Miss Harriet Dillion. Myself and Bill Dillion were best friends, best friends um, in, in our middle school, high school, and I would go spend the night with, with Bill and Miss Harriet would give us maybe one chance, two chances to get up, and then ice cold water to the face. Works all the time, every time. So if you're looking for a little help in that, works every time. Speaking about the section of scripture that we come to today, George Whitfield, the 18th century Anglican evangelist, gave a different method. In fact, he says this, the Christian world is in deep sleep. Nothing but a loud voice can waken them out of it. Now, I believe that the church, there are times we need ice cold water thrown on us. But we also need a loud voice to waken us from our sleep. And the picture that we are about to read is Paul standing bedside of the Roman church trying to compel them to wake up. 
to get up, to don't, do not stay asleep. And think about this. Of all the modern inventions that we rely on in our daily lives, the alarm clock is probably the universal most despised of those. At times, we know we live in a divided nation, a divided people, yet one universal truth unites us, and that is this. Getting out of bed stinks. So getting out of bed can be tough. Getting out of bed is not always fun. And then you have some loud, annoying noise that jars you uncomfortably from your slumber, from your dream, and back to reality. And yet, however annoying alarm clocks might be, they're essential. They help us get out of bed, which brought me to a question in my mind, is that how did people wake up before alarm clocks became so universal? Now, praise the Lord for roosters. They were always there. I'll never forget being in, in Haiti. Those roosters get up way earlier than I've ever, ever imagined whatsoever. They, those things rise at 5 o'clock in the morning, and you're, you're rising with them. But I, I read about the ancient Greeks, Egyptians, developing sundials and towering obelisks and that would mark the, the shadow of the sun. Dating back to 1500 B.C., humans produced hourglasses, water clocks, and oil lamps. Out of the early inventions came a few basic attempts to actually create a morning alarm clock, such as candle clocks. This simplistic device, um, which was from ancient China, where where embedded nails were placed over wax and they would light a candle and basically the candle would burn down and eventually when there was no more wax, all the nails would fall through and you would wake up. Today, of course, we have phone alarms. We have flying alarm clocks. We have alarm clocks that you have to solve a, a puzzle um, to get the alarm clock to, to turn off all to help us with the unpleasant ritual of waking up. And think about this. So we go from waking up to, have you ever gotten a call, a phone call, maybe late in the middle of the night, maybe early in the morning, and the voice on the other end says, oh, did I wake you? And we always say what? Why, why are we so prideful that we never want to admit that we're asleep? You know, even I mean, we wake up, we have no idea where we are. We don't have, have no idea what day it is. We don't have a clue what's going on. Our phone's going off. We answer it. Hello? Oh, did I wake you? No, I've, I've been up for about two hours. I've already, I've already read through the whole book of John. I mean, you know, why do we, are we so prideful in wanting to, and failing to admit that we're asleep? This morning, my desire is that God's word, through the words of the Apostle Paul, would serve as a wake-up call to the Church of Jesus Christ and to the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way, that we would hear this call to wake up. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's Word. We're going to read verses 8 through 14 together and then unpack this section together. So verse 8 says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. 
The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word and God, our prayer today is that you would wake us up. Lord, for any in this room, for any watching online who don't know you, wake them up from their spiritual death and wake, to, wake them, oh God, to spiritual life in you. Lord, for the church today, for First Baptist Church of Ocean, may wake us up. God, wake us up. Holy Spirit, wake us up. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So, what would you say is the most appropriate description of the church as a whole in our nation today? Would you say the church as a whole is on fire? Would you say it's thriving? Would you say it's turning the world upside down? Or kind of the biblical way is turning the world right side up? Now what would we say? And unfortunately I would say that an apt description of the church as a whole in our nation is that we're asleep. We're asleep to prayer. We're asleep to holiness. We're asleep to worship and evangelism. We're asleep to our first love, which is Jesus Christ. The modern day church has succumbed to the spirit of, of the world where lukewarmness, where carnality, where worldliness prevail. And the church has become allergic to teachings such as repentance and the cross. There are churches that refuse to use the word repentance, saying it's, it's repulsive and it doesn't sound good. When Jesus himself said in Luke 13, 3, if you don't repent, you will all likewise perish. So if we refuse to call people to re repent, we're basically allowing them to continue to perish. People are sleeping and don't even know it. The famed preacher Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones often railed against the superficiality within the church. A.W. Tozer, many, many years ago, wrote that if the Holy Spirit were completely withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and we would not know the difference. More recently, theologian J.I. Packer commented that America's Bible Belt, of which we live, is a thousand miles wide and an inch deep. In the book, Samuel's Arising, Keith Collins describes the church this way today. Today's church looks better than ever before on the outside. Our meetings are polished. Our media is masterful. But underneath the vain sheen of success and numbers and accolades, millions of professing Christians are asleep. We're asleep. I even read this week a story of a Christian woman who moved to America from Iran, a place of severe persecution. After having the opportunity to experience the freedom that we have to worship in America, she decided that she wanted to go back to Iran because she could be persecuted, so that she could be persecuted for, for her faith. In this article, she explained this. She said that in her time in America, she observed that there has been a satanic lullaby that has lulled Christians to sleep in our country. And she said this, I'd rather be persecuted. 
are we asleep this morning? Are we going through life and the motions on autopilot, hardly aware of what is happening around us? Listen, this lack of consciousness to the word of God before us and to the world around us is not what Jesus has for his church. It's not what Jesus desires or wants for his church. So what I want to do is I want to take the verses we just read. I want to lay out three truths. And I pray today, if you don't hear anything else, that you would hear the call of the Holy Spirit to wake up. Truth number one, the gospel calls us to live selflessly. Or we could even say love selflessly. The gospel calls us to live selflessly. When we look at verse 8, or you see the screen, it says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Love is the one debt, according to Paul, that is always outstanding. It's an obligation. Just like your utility bills, just like your car payments, just like the student loans or your mortgage, we are consistently and regularly to pay our obligations. And it seems weird to lump love into all of those obligations, but that's kind of what Paul does. Yet ultimately, he's concerned with our actions. But think about this. For example, people work diligently to pay their mortgage off early. They're willing to make huge sacrifices to do it. And I think what Paul is saying to us is that we should have the same kind of fervor when it comes to loving our neighbor, when it comes to loving the people around us. Listen, a mortgage will one day hopefully be paid off. And it's something that we can look forward to having completed, but not so with this debt of love. We will never, there'll never be a time where you'll say, I've loved that person enough, I can walk away. There'll never be a time that you will be able to say, I've given enough love to this world. How do we know that? We know that because Jesus has not stopped loving us, even though just us in this room and online, we've given him millions upon millions of reasons to do so. He's kept loving us and kept loving us. He doesn't stop in his love for us. There's a debt that will never be settled, a debt of love. And then Paul says this, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. And look at the commandments that he uses here, beginning at verse 9. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment. What in the world do those commandments have to do with love? What in the world, Paul, what are you talking about? And here's where we understand that adultery is not love because it violates God's commandments. It's an expression of lust. It's an expression of rebellion and selfishness, not love. Regarding murder, it's not hard to convince everyone in this room that if you murder someone, you don't love them. So you don't murder someone that you love. Can we all agree on that? So if you, if you kill someone, you can't say, I love them so much. Just doesn't work. And then Paul goes on, stealing. Listen, you don't love someone if you steal from them. You don't. And then coveting. You, you don't want, or you don't love someone if you want everything that they have. So quite the opposite. Love is faithfulness, not adultery. Love is wanting to see others flourish, not see them dead. Love is about blessing others, not stealing from others. And love is about rejoicing in what God has given others and what God has given you and being content in that. So being content in it all. And then Paul continues, For the commandments are summed up in these words, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus did that in his teachings. He said the commandments fulfilled in this, Love God, love others. 
Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. That doesn't mean only love people who live beside you. That's not what that means. And that's a good place to start. It's a good place to start by loving people who live beside you. But it, it means, and please hear this, anyone who you come in contact with that has a need that you are able to meet is your neighbor. Anyone who you come in contact with who has a need that you are able to meet, that is your neighbor. That's how Jesus saw it in Luke 10 with the parable of the Good Samaritan. The man who was going up, fell among robbers, was left for dead. People walked by that should have helped him, and they refused to help him. They turned away. And yet here comes a Samaritan that shouldn't have helped him because he was a Jew, and yet he did. I found this story this week of a... A man who fell into a pit, couldn't get himself out. A sensitive person came along and said, I feel for you down there. A practical person came along and said, I knew sooner or later you'd end up in that pit. A Pharisee came along and said, only bad people fall into pits. A mathematician calculated how far the man had actually fallen into the pit. A news reporter wanted an exclusive story on the pit. An IRS agent came along and taxed the pit. A self-pitying person said, well, you haven't seen my pit yet. A mystic person said, just imagine yourself not in a pit. An optimist came along and said, listen, things could be worse. A pessimist came along and said, things will get worse. And then Jesus came along, grabbed the man by the hand, and lifted him out of the pit. Jesus is our good Samaritan who selflessly loves us and has given himself for us. And here is a message this morning for those who are still lying on the side of the road, wounded and helpless, wounded and bleeding, forgotten and abandoned. This for those, this for those who feel like the world has gone on without you. This is for those who feel like you have been destroyed by sin. And here it is. Jesus has come to help you. He has come to help you. Will you not give him your heart? Will you not love him, trust him, serve him? Will you not believe in him? The good Samaritan Jesus has come to save you. Trust him. For not only does Jesus' love compel us to love him, his love compels us to love others selflessly. Expend yourselves for them. Give of yourselves again and again and again. Don't stop giving away love for others. In fact, think about this. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Now, we know that verse, but we sometimes don't get what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the world has the right to judge the love that the church has for him by the love that the church has for each other. That the world can look at a church that's fighting and fussing among themselves and say, you don't, you don't love God so much. Are you even his disciples? What are you doing? Listen, we're called to love one another. We're called to give away what we want for the sake of what God wants. It is the calling. Now I want to share with you a story by Pastor Max Licato about the power of love. In, in his book, You Changed My Life, Stories of, of Real People. But before I share this story, I'm going to just go ahead and hit, hit you with it that this story, as I read it, it's going to produce in you some feelings of cynicism. There's going to be a, a temptation for you to go, yeah, right. I guess I can show you what I mean. He writes, you know your love is real when you feel for others what Catherine Laws 
felt for the inmates of Sing Sing Prison. When her husband, Lewis, became the warden in 1921, she was a young mother of three daughters. Everybody warned her never to step foot inside the walls of the prison, but she didn't listen to them. When the first prison basketball game was held, in she went, three girls in tow, and took a seat in the bleachers with the inmates. She once said, my husband and I are going to take care of these men, and I believe they will take care of me. I don't have to worry. When she heard that one convicted murderer was blind, she taught him Braille so he could read. Upon learning of inmates who were hearing, hearing impaired, she studied sign language so she could communicate with them. For 16 years, Catherine Law softened the hard hearts of men in Sing Sing. In 1937, the world saw the difference real love makes. The prisoners knew something was wrong when Lewis Laws didn't report to work. Quickly, the word spread that Catherine had been killed in a car accident. The following day, her body was placed in her home three-quarter miles from the prison. As the acting warden took his early morning walk, he noticed a large gathering at the main gate. Every prisoner pressed against the fence, eyes awash with tears, faces solemn. No one spoke or moved. They'd come to stand as close as they could to the woman who had given them love. The warden made a remarkable decision. All right, men, you can go. Just be sure to check in tonight. These were America's hardest criminals, murderers, robbers. These were men the nation had locked away for life. But the warden unlocked the gate for them, and they walked without escort or guard to the home of Catherine Laws to pay their last respects. And to a man, each one returned. Here's the message. Real love changes people. Now, let me say again, I know cynicism is in our heart going, yeah, right. Yeah, we wouldn't do that today. Uh-uh. Real love changes people. Now, you might say, well, I tried to love somebody and it didn't, didn't change them. Well, did it change you? Because if you love someone, it will change. If it doesn't change them, it will change you. If you let it. If, now, if it didn't change you, let me tell you why. Because you went in with a selfish reason, meaning you really weren't loving them to begin with. You were only loving them for the sake of what you thought it could bring to you or for them. We've got to be careful. Even our love can become selfish. Even our love, even Satan, the enemy, can take what is good and he can pervert it for the sake of what's evil. Real love changes people. If it doesn't change them, it will. It will change you. The gospel calls us to live selflessly, to love selflessly. But second, the gospel calls us to live urgently. Look at verse 11. Paul says, beside this, you know the time. You know the time. If we had to buy time, would there be a difference in the way we used our time? So if you had to pay $100 an hour for every bit of time that you got, would your days, your hours be used more wisely? I'm willing to bet if we had to pay for the time that we had, we would waste less time. I'm willing to bet we wouldn't spend as much time as we spent doing worthless things. So Paul basically says, listen, you know the time, but what time is it? Paul says, it's time to wake up. He says that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Sleep is the perfect description of the world, the church today, a state of passive, uninvolved, indifferent people. Great potential there, but nothing happening. Let me say it again. Great potential there, but nothing happening. 
We're at a place here where I think most of us in this room are spiritually mature. Most of us, hopefully online, are spiritually mature. If somebody looks at you and says you have great potential and you've been a Christian for a long time, that's not a compliment. It's not a compliment. It means you're not using the gifts and abilities that God has given you. The best compliment is that you're taking the potential that God has given you, regardless of what that looks like, and you're expending that, and you're using that for the glory of God. Oh, to God that we would do that, that we would wake up. Martin Luther wrote a parable about Satan conversing with the demons of how to destroy the souls of man. One demon said, there was a company of Christians crossing the desert, I loosed the lions upon them, and soon the sands of the desert were scattered with mangled corpses. And Satan said, what is that? The lions destroyed their bodies, but their souls were saved. It is their souls I'm after. Another demon reported there was a company of Christian pilgrims sailing through the sea on a vessel. I sent a great wind against the ship that drove the ship onto the rocks, and every Christian on board drowned. To which Satan says, What of that? Their bodies were drowned in the sea, but their souls were saved. It is their souls that I'm after. The third came forward to give his report, and he said, For ten years I have been trying to get a church to fall asleep, and at last I have succeeded. And with that, the corridors of hell rang with shouts of malignant triumph, to which Martin Luther writes this, Awake, awake, hear the call of the Lord Awake. Wake up. And then Paul says, For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. For salvation is nearer. Now, what does that word salvation mean? Now, in Scripture, salvation is used in three different ways. Salvation is used in past tense. It's used in the present tense. And it's used in the future tense. So we have the past tense of salvation by which If you have trusted Jesus Christ, if you have come to him as your Lord and Savior in the past, you have been forgiven. You have been justified. You have been declared not guilty. That is the past of your salvation. Then presently, you are right now in Christ producing sanctification, or Christ is producing sanctification in you. The Holy Spirit is making you more and more like Jesus. That's sanctification. That's what's happening in salvation presently in your life and in future when Jesus comes again he will eradicate sin he will take us out of the presence of sin forever and we will become like Jesus for we will see him as he is so which one is Paul talking about and the answer is he's talking about glorification the return of Jesus is closer than it's ever been it's closer than it's ever been I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I'll tell you this. It's closer today than it was yesterday. If, Lord willing, we come back next Sunday, it'll be closer next Sunday than it was this Sunday. Paul yearns for the believer to wake from the sleep of indifference, to wake from the sleep of carelessness, to wake from the sleep of thoughtlessness. It's time to be working for the kingdom of God is at hand. Even for us, salvation is closer than it has ever been. Think of it this way. Life is short. Eternity is significant. Wake up. Life is short. Eternity is significant. Meaning what you do now will last forever. What you do with Jesus now lasts forever. 
wake up. One pastor even said this, if I could preach a sermon in every church in the world next Sunday, the message would be, wake up, wake up, wake up. Precious people are being lost, and we are fiddling around in our churches, amusing ourselves with meaningless things. Wake up. The gospel calls us to live urgently, to wake up. And then lastly, number three, the gospel calls us to live differently. The gospel calls us to live differently. Look at verse 12. Paul says in the middle of verse 12, So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul calls on believers to discard anything that is inappropriate for them and to dress themselves in armor. Let me put it this way. You don't put armor on unless you're a warrior or unless you're going to battle. You don't put on a bulletproof vest unless there's a chance that you might get shot at. But if you know you might get shot at, guess what? You're going to put it on. It all of a sudden makes sense to wear that bulky thing. Many believers are shocked when they found out that God didn't save them and put them on a playground, on a swing, to just swing them until he returns. Jesus saved them and put them on a battlefield. And here's the point for us. Here's the point for for all of us, I, I believe, this morning. And please hear this. God has called us. His spiritual soldiers, not just to hold ground, but to gain ground. We're called to gain ground. We're called to advance. Brothers and sisters, don't call yourself part of the army of the Lord if you're just sitting around doing nothing. Don't call yourself part of the army of the Lord if the enemy is advancing on you. Our job as the part of the body of Christ, the army of the Lord, is we advance. We advance We advance, and as we advance, the the light goes into darkness. And I don't know a whole lot, but here's what I know. Light always wins. Light always wins. Brothers and sisters, it's time for us to wake up and be the army that trusts him, that follows him, that goes into this world of darkness and overcomes darkness, not with our light, but with his And then Paul says this, let us walk properly as in the daytime, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear that today. Brothers and sisters, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Jesus. He's appropriate for every occasion. Put on his holiness. Put on his beauty. Put on his humility. Put on his compassion and his service. Put on his wisdom and his forgiveness. Put on his righteousness and his zeal. Put on his patience and his love. Clothe yourself with Jesus early in the morning and you'll be well dressed all day long. Put on Jesus. And when I think about that command of Paul to put on Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, I think about Paul's other command in Ephesians 6 to put on the whole armor of God. We're called to put on the belt of truth that holds everything together. We're called to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We're called to put on the helmet of salvation guarding our minds. We're called to put on the the shoes that take the gospel of peace into the world in a ready way. We're called to pick up the shield of faith and we are called to hold to the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Now, in a beautiful way, Warren Wearsby reminds us that the whole armor of God refers to putting on Jesus. The belt of truth, Jesus is truth. 
In John 14, I am the way, the truth. Truth is a person. The breastplate of righteousness, Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 21, is our righteousness. He gets our sin. We get his righteousness. Now, the, the shoes taking the gospel of peace, according to Ephesians 2, 14, Jesus is our peace. The shield of faith, according to Galatians 2, his faithfulness makes our faith possible. The helmet of salvation, according to Luke 2.30, he is our salvation. And according to John 1, 1 and 14, he is the word of God. Put on Jesus Christ. Let, let us be Christ's people from head to toe. In other words, let Jesus be a part of everything that you do. Make him a part of every decision that you make. Make him a part of every area of your life. He's not just a Sunday Jesus. He's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Friday night, Saturday, and Saturday night Jesus. Make him a part of every part of your life. He should be Lord of your life in whatever happens and whatever you do. He should be Lord of our lives when we wake up. He should be Lord of our lives when we go out. And He should be Lord of our lives when we come home. He should be Lord of our homes. Oh, that He would be Lord. And I'm not saying that we make Him Lord. He's already Lord. You don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord of all things. We submit to His Lordship. We submit to the fact that He is Lord. But let me say this. Christ must be in you before He can be on you. Before you can clothe yourself with Christ, Christ has to be in you. Before you can clothe yourself with him, he has to be your savior. He has to be your Lord. Oh, today would be a day of salvation. And then Paul ends this whole section in verse 14 this way. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't miss that. Paul's saying, listen, don't make room in your life for sin. Don't make room in your life for unrighteousness. Don't make room in your life for things of darkness. Instead, direct your mind to the promises of God in Scripture. Direct your mind to the beauty of Christ. Direct your mind to the glory that is coming for us. We have a wonderful Savior who is worth more and who gives more to us than sin ever can. He is of more worth to us, of more beauty to us. He gives us more than sin can ever give to us. And one day we know He will come again. He will eradicate sin forever. We will dwell in His presence forever. And may we live today in light of that day. He is coming. He's coming. He's coming. Wake up. Let me end with the words of Pastor John Stott says this, the picture is that because of the hour, we must not only wake up and get up, but get dressed as well. We must take off our night clothes, the deeds of darkness, and put on instead a suitable daytime equipment for the soldiers of Christ, the armor of light, for the Christian's life is not a sleep, but a battle. Church, hear this this morning. One last time, wake up. May today be your wake-up call. Don't stay asleep in light of what's coming. Wake up. 
Wake up to what Christ has done for you. Wake up to what Christ is calling you to. Wake up to our purpose as the church of Jesus Christ. Wake up to the lost and dying world all around us. And not just around us, in our own families. Those who do not know him. Wake up. Wake up to the fact that what happens now with Jesus lasts forever. For those that receive him now, they'll be his forever. Those that reject him now will have none of him forever. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up to what we're giving our lives to. Wake up to what we're spending our time doing. Let me just go a step further in case I didn't step on your toes now. If you know everything that Fox News or CNN reported this week, but you can't tell me how God spoke into your life this week, wake up. If you know everything that an 18- or 19-year-old boy did on a football field in every stat, but you can't tell me how God is working in your life, wake up. If you are taking your kids all over the place for sports and other ideas and other things, but yet you're not pouring Jesus into them, wake up. Brother, it's time, sisters, it's time for us to wake up. Wake up. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to call the band forward and enter in this time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray together. Father, we come before you. And God, we as your people, we need to wake up. God, we need to have our eyes open. We need to have, Lord, the, that loud voice or that ice cold water upon us to wake us up from the way that the world has lulled us into sleep. We need to wake up, God, to your beauty and your presence. We need to wake up to your glory, God, and your goodness. We need to wake up to the lost world around us and to our calling within it. Lord, wake us up. Lord, just finish this time in a way that only you can so that you might receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. of grace is Jesus my redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I hold my hope is only Jesus for my life is wholly bound to Him. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark. But I am not forsaken For by my side The Savior, He will stay I labor on In weakness and rejoice For in my need His power is displayed To this I hold 
My shepherd will defend me Through the deepest valleys he will lead Oh, the night has been won And I shall overcome Yet not I, but through Christ in me No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled to suffer for my pardon. He was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Now and never is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can see I am free. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath. to follow Jesus for he has said that he will bring me home and day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne to this I hold my hope is only Jesus and all the Is complete, still my lips shall repeat yet not I, but through Christ. To this I hold, to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat yet not I. 